Welcome everybody to Spirituality Adventures. This is a non-judgmental place to explore spirituality, and we're starting off the new year with this series on health and spirituality. And we're glad you're here, and I am really excited to have Pam Hausner with us. She is a mindful meditation leader, and I have just had the privilege of getting to know her through a friend that we have in common. And so I am so glad that you're here today, Pam. Thank you for joining us and taking time out of your schedule. I'd like to maybe start by just you introducing yourself to the audience and let people know a little bit about maybe your background and who you are and how you've come to this field of mindful meditation. Thank you so much, Fred. I really appreciate being here. I've really appreciated our conversations together and getting to know you better. Um, my background, my father was an Assembly God pastor uh, for most of my life. And then in my teens, he left the assemblies to form in some independent works because he felt like the assemblies were getting too liberal. So that lets you know that I had a very conservative upbringing. We were like conservative of the conservatives. Uh, Women that could wear sandals were liberal for us, right? So uh, there were a lot of rules there. And I met my husband at Ozark Bible Institute, which is a Bible Institute in Southern Missouri in Neosho. That also uh, is very strict. That is also a part of the Assemblies of God. Um, but they've maintained those the standards that uh, were meaningful to my father. And so I met my husband there. We married. Uh, we had three children. Um, we were we were up in Michigan in a very rural area when uh, my my oldest daughter was approaching uh, school age. So uh, the schools there were failing and I didn't really know what to do. And I ran across a book on home education. So I thought, well, hey, let's give this a shot. Uh, it, uh, it was illegal in Michigan at the time, but uh, the schools are failing. So I don't know. I just don't felt like I had a lot of choice. And uh, my school experience was not pleasant. My husband's school experience was not good. So we were open to alternatives. So we started homeschooling and we ended up homeschooling our children all the way through. And we were, um, we were leaders in the homeschool community. We um, did a lot of workshops and presentations and, um, you know, we, we enjoyed it. We loved it very much. But in that process of homeschooling, we, we were going to this smaller church where uh, it was predominantly homeschooled and uh, the homeschool families there. And there were a few families there that were African-American. And they really challenged me and my worldview. They, they challenged me. They were, they were certainly staunch believers. But what they did was sort of loosen the soil of how I stood in the earth. Mm. They, they helped me see that there is another way of being in this world than the way I had assumed that my experience was what everybody's experience was um, as far as understanding how society worked. Uh, they gave me new lenses and it really challenged my way of seeing the world. So, so I began to authentically meet people outside of my worldview. And uh, shortly after this started happening kind of concurrently, you know, how time overlaps things. 
I also started getting out of the house more and meeting more people outside of my worldview. And it's not like I didn't have friends. You know, we all have friends outside of our worldview, but there's there's sort of a, a place where we draw the line is how close those friends can be. And I started having friends uh, probably through my work. I was at this point, I was uh, making websites and doing marketing. And so I was meeting a lot of uh, people that were Jewish, that were Christians, that weren't any kind of flavor of the Christian, the way I understood Christianity. Um, and yet they were Christians. And so it just really started to open that up. But racism really is what brought the awareness that there's a different way of seeing. And so when I, when that happened for me, now everything became suspect. Now I could question everything. I, I knew I needed a new education. Um, I needed to see, like, all those questions that I had, even from childhood and my teen years. My, I love my father so very much, and he was a very wise man. But sometimes his answers didn't really satisfy. But because I had so much trust in him, I just accepted his answers, right? Mm -hmm. And in my own Bible studies, I would come across things that I felt would conflict with each other or, or questions that just didn't seem answered by what I was finding in the scriptures. And so I let those questions rise up. Now it was fair game. Everything's fair game because once you realized, oh, you're, you know, your, your lenses are cracked. You need new glasses. You need to like, how should I see the world? So I started like, well, it led me down, this whole new education led me down kind of the big three, racism, which led to uh, capitalism, which led to patriarchy. So those three, right, they tend to go hand in hand. So I just began to devour um, books on race, books on patriarchy and feminism, books on economics. I read E.F. Schumacher, and I thought, what am I doing reading a book on economics? <laughs> um, I, I devoured books on spirituality with all kinds of views of the Bible, roots of Christian theologies, world religions, ancient and modern, because part of it was like, if God so loved the world, how could he toast everybody? How come, like, I, I kind of pictured the kitchen table because um, I'm just a common person. <laughs> I picture the kitchen table with a speck of pepper on it. And that speck of pepper, if you think of all the lives that have ever lived, that speck of pepper would be those that actually got to go to heaven based on my upbringing, right? Hmm. Um, and all the others, everybody else is going to hell for eternity. And that made no sense. If God so loved the world, why is he toasting everybody? Hmm. So how did God try to reach out to people like throughout history? What were God's ways of connecting to people and mm -hmm. what did that look like? Mm. So I, I just started exploring different things. I got trained in transcendental meditation. I explored some new age stuff, but I realized I really needed something that didn't require religious beliefs or a faith system to go with it. I needed something that was no woo-woo at all. And it's not like I don't believe that there's something very spiritual and powerful that guides all of our lives. But for me to, at this point in my life, I really needed something that didn't include any of that. And that was mindfulness meditation. It gave me a spiritual practice without any dogma, without any woo-woo. 
And uh, it did come from uh, Buddhism, but it's not religious. And the practice of it is completely secular. Um, so it helped me to address many areas of wounding from my background. Um, it, it satisfied, you know, when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and he said, the kingdom of heaven is within you, it resonated there. That, that was a scripture that, that was one of them that it had puzzled me hmm. because in my framework of theology, it didn't make sense. But now with mindfulness meditation, it makes perfect sense. So it, what it does, like if you think of something beautiful, like a beautiful sunset, you're just drawn to it and you just stop and you're drawn into the beauty of it. You're drinking it in with awe and awareness, trying to capture all of that. That's essentially the heart of mindfulness. It's like this heightened awareness of the present moment. And, and it's, it's not something that comes naturally, especially in our modern world where like we're 24 seven plugged in um, and we're, we're just lost in this torrent of thoughts and, and the, our modern mind is just like all the time. Right. But when we can slow down, and be quiet and fully in this moment, we see things, we hear things, we smell things in a more vibrant way. The, the sights, the sounds, the taste, the sensations of the body, we're just more there for it. Most of us aren't even living our lives. Um, I think, was it James Joyce that talked about this man that lived a few feet from his body? You know, it's just, and that's how most of us go through our life. We're just busy, busy, busy with thoughts and doing and thoughts and doing. Um, I like this, this quote by uh, uh, Marcel Proust. And he says, the very real voyage of discovery uh, consists not of new landscapes, but of having new eyes. Hmm. I feel like for me, mindfulness meditation did that. It gave me new eyes uh, to, to see what my experience is. And it's, it's incredibly simple, right? But it's difficult for us to do, to be more present with our senses simply by slowing down a bit. Excellent. I, I think about my own experience with meditation. I would say... Um, my years as a pastor, most of my meditation would have been on scripture itself, right? And then I love nature. And so I've spent a lot of time just in nature, walking, praying, reflecting. Uh, and that's been a big part of my life. But in terms of an actual discipline practice of other types of meditation, I really had none. And then uh, two years ago, I went to rehab and I was in rehab for like 120 days. It was a long, it was a long stint. And in rehab, I got exposed to several different types of meditation. And I think including uh, mindfulness meditation and even had some people take us through some guided meditations and then when I got back home, I actually sought out 
uh, a few places where they practiced mindful meditation, mindfulness meditation. And like, I feel like I'm like just a barely a beginner. I, I don't feel like I've, uh, dove into this, like I need to, uh, or want to either one. Um, so, so when I was thinking about this health and spirituality, I, I wanted personally to explore mindfulness meditation for myself, but I'm thinking that the studies, I, I was aware that some of the studies behind it are amazing in terms of what it does, just the science behind it. But, um, and I, I can honestly say that in some of the guided meditations, I, I experienced, I think, um, I don't even know how to describe it, but some, some space and connection within myself that I hadn't ever experienced before. And so, um, so, it, so it's kept me like going, I got I, I need to, I need to do this more. So I'm so glad you're here. Uh, give us just a little bit. Why, what is the difference between mindfulness meditation and maybe any other numbers of meditation? Cause I think a lot of people are out there listening may or may not have very much experience with mindfulness meditation. I'm guessing that a lot haven't, but I don't know that to be true, but I'm just guessing. So help us. What is, what is mindfulness sure. meditation in this whole field of meditation? What, what is exactly right. mindfulness meditation? There is a lot of different types of meditation. There are a lot of different types of meditation. And, you know, just to encourage you, when you say, I feel like I'm just at the beginning and very new at this, you can't do it wrong. You just can't being aware. How do you, how, how can you be aware wrong? Right. You can't do that in a wrong way. So uh, like I was trained in transcendental meditation, right? I was my first uh, foray into all this and um, they, they give you a mantra. You go through this little ceremony in which they, uh, I think it's probably Hindu in its background um, because they chanted some words that I could not understand. There was a little idol that the person that was leading this was kind of bowing to. And, you know, I just like, that's not what I, you know, really want to do, but I'm going to give this a shot, right? The old college try. And so you just repeat this mantra for 20 minutes. And so that's a type of concentration uh, meditation. Um, but it's, it's not really mindfulness. Um, there are new age meditations. Again, speaking from my own experience, a lot of different types of those um, that, that would sometimes incorporate um, spiritual concepts that just didn't, you know, like, I don't know, aliens and all kinds of mm. different things, right? Yep. So um, that's not uh, what I was looking for. There's... Um, the contemplative traditions, which mindfulness is a contemplative practice for sure. Um, but I think what makes it unique is it really is about slowing down and and being aware of what's arising. And there's there's different ways you can do mindfulness meditation. There's there's a loving kindness meditation or meta meditation where you think loving and kind thoughts for yourself and then you kind of expand circles out for someone close to you, then someone neutral, then someone who's maybe difficult and then the whole world, right? So you kind of expand those loving thoughts. Um, there's uh, different types of concentration, meditation, um, but 
but it leads to, sometimes you can just like focus on a candle burning or focus on your breath. There are some people that spend their whole lives and meditation practice that do nothing but focus on the breath. Mm -hmm. um, but med mindfulness meditation, which uh, has a number of different interpretations, the modern one that we all seem to adapt to is mindfulness meditation, but it could even easily be awareness meditation or insight meditation. Because what it does is it teaches you, uh, you have this anchor, so it could be your breath, it could be a part of your body that maybe is pulsating or something that's safe and comfortable for you where you can land on. And then you just notice uh, what thoughts arise, right? And maybe it's an emotion and you start out just sort of noticing what that feels like in your body. And the point is you don't judge it. You do this without judging because what happens, what happens when you're on defense, right? If you're defensive or you're resisting something, you can't hear what's being said. You can't learn from it. Your defenses are up. So you come into this with no judging. And then you do this enough and you start to see patterns maybe that are arising. Um, one of the, one of the patterns that emerged for me was just noticing uh, thoughts that were coming to my mind that were always defensive. I was always trying to defend something, hmm. which, you know, kind of led down to a, a deep-rooted insecurity in myself that somehow I needed to prove something. I think some of it maybe had to do with shame. Um, this uh, inability perhaps to, to speak confidently to what my experience was at the time because I was transitioning from decades uh, deeply rooted in a very conservative Christian worldview. So a lot of it had to do with that. Um, but you start to notice these. And then as you notice this, and because you're meeting it with friendly curiosity and you're allowing space and you're not judging it, it gives enough of a pause or enough of a space. So now that you can see kind of what's underneath it, or maybe the, the belief underneath the thought that you can now respond. And instead of reacting, you're responding. A real practical example, maybe of what this looks like is, um, you know, I live in a home with other adults and they have different ideas of maybe what clean looks like, right? So maybe I cleaned the kitchen and went to bed. And when I wake up, the kitchen's not so clean anymore, right? And just being able, instead of my reaction, like being mad and blaming and getting, you know, angry and chewing out somebody, I was able to pause and think, I love these people. I want a healthy relationship with these people. And let's see what we can, how we can talk about this. Uh, to find a solution that works for everybody. So it's just simple things like that, that just really change your life. Instead of living in reactivity, now I, I'm empowered. And, and in that empowerment, I can take responsibility. Because sometimes, honestly, Fred, sometimes this insight isn't pretty. Sometimes seeing what's inside of me or understanding how I've hurt people is not fun. But when we can fully be honest and fully embrace what's happening, uh, there is through that really a joy 
that you it's just very difficult to touch in other ways. I I found that um, one of the things that I had done throughout my life was basically subdue, try to conquer, ignore, whatever you want to call it, my negative emotions. So fear, anger, disgust, things like that. Um, I really, really felt like those were maybe a part of my old nature that I needed to die to. And so I, and so I had this idea that I needed to suppress these negative feelings. And what, one of the things I've learned is that that suppression of those negative emotions ultimately made me ill (laughs) in a number of ways. Um, and so part of, part of the thing that I've found beneficial in, in, in this awareness, this mindfulness meditation is to actually locate my feelings in my body, mm-hmm. actually figure out what these feelings are and where they're coming from and why they're there and actually try to listen to them. And I never learned how to do that. And before I went to rehab <laughs> and it's been a learning process. I'm still learning, um, but like body scanning and then, and then trying to be an observer of these emotions and identify them has, has been really interesting to me. And, and the more, and the, a lot of the, the stuff that I've read on, on feelings is that it is critically important to listen, identify uh, negative feelings, not just suppress them, uh, and, and and then begin, you, you know. And so that that's an interesting part of this. Like it's not the only part. Like you're talking about the awareness of the defensiveness that you were talking about. Well, I'm sure that probably manifested as a feeling of some sort. That defensiveness, maybe. I don't know. Is it is it all about feelings, or is it about all kinds of things? Thoughts. Emotions, it's your experience. Your whole, your experience? The whole of your life. The whole of your, the whole of your experience. And you know, when you're talking about feelings and emotions, there's no wrong feeling. Any feeling you have is part of the human experience. It's your relationship with that feeling. So uh, being raised the way I was, anger was a bad thing. There is the verse, be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. So you're supposed to have short accounts. You deal with it before you go to bed, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes it just doesn't go away that fast, does it? Right. (laughs) Or sometimes you're angry about something you're not supposed to be angry about. Right. So you stuff that down. Mm -hmm. Um, So so what this would do is like when you touch on, and, and anger, what we know now about anger, it's just a trigger that a boundary has been crossed. So when you see that anger arising, you can now look what boundary has been crossed. What, what do I value? What are my values here? And how has that been crossed? So there, there are no wrong emotions. It's just how we relate to it. And, and, it could be something as simple as just being indignant about something. Well, then that kind of goes into pride. And then, you know, just like you can 
you can filter through this, again, non-judging, not making anything wrong, but just being curious and understanding it. Mm-hmm. And this, this was what I never did with my negative emotions. I was never right. curious. Well, okay, why is this? What is this coming? You know, I just tried to handle it, like manipulate it in some way or another. Those, those negative emotions, I mean, I don't like to even call them negative emotions. Right. Those emotions that can be cons- considered negative. Yeah, that's how I um, thought of them, though. Yeah. They were the ones yeah, that, I, right. that I wasn't supposed to have or didn't feel comfortable having. If it's something that comes up a lot, like fear, like maybe you're being afraid of something, you could just say, oh, I see you fear. There you are trying to protect me. Thank you so much. I got this. You know, so you can, again, it's that, how am I relating to the fear? Mm -hmm. And just not, you know, being a friend with it, be a friend with fear. That's Uh, so foreign to me. (laughs) So this, this pandemic. It's like, I don't even like to feel these things. No, no. So I, um, I am co-facilitating for my grandson's first grade. And uh, it's been, it started out very bumpy this year. And I'll spare you some gory details, but it was not pretty. And I was not happy. Um, and so I realized in the thick of this, I was like, okay, where's my practice? Where's my practice? I even have a little timer on my phone that bings every 15 minutes to remind me to take a breath, you know, and that's just gives me enough of a pause. Okay, feel my feet, be present. And through that, I realized I was resisting what was going on. I had just a fierce resistance. I was mad that I couldn't do what I really wanted to be doing with my life. I kind of had to put most of my stuff on hold. Um, and I thought I'd already done that for 20 years. I, this is supposed to be my time, right? And I didn't like how my grandson was acting. And so I was resisting that or just resistance all over the place. And that was a turning point. Once I realized, oh, I'm resisting this and I could just make space for it. That's resistance. There I am. Now I can, now I can respond more lovingly. Mm. Now I can be more open about what's happening because I recognized that was just my thought that I was having. Our thoughts are vapors. Mm-hmm. They're just nothing. There's nothing to a thought. Re- receiving these emotions and these thoughts with curiosity. Is that a part of awareness? Yeah. And playfulness. Um, be- not One of my favorite stories actually is, um, I think his name was Schuller. Oh, dear. I don't want to screw up anybody's name. Anyway, he went to study the gorillas and um, he was there for a number of years and he came back and to present his findings to the scientists and says, this is what I discovered. This is how they relate to each other. And they're like, well, in fact, that gorillas in the mist was kind of based off somebody that studied under him. Okay. So, um, so they said, how did you learn all this? And he says, well, it was simple. I didn't carry a gun. Um, the the those gorillas, even though they might they might not know what a gun is, they could sense the fear. They could sense what he was bringing in. And when they learned to be calm and relaxed around him, because they saw that he wasn't harmful, they could just be open with their lives. Well, when we look at our thoughts or our emotions, our feelings, uh, and what's happening in our body, we often bring a gun. So. 
when we come undefended, we are now open to be able to, to see and respond more wholesomely. Hmm. That's good. I like that. Um, tell us a little bit about the science behind this. I think that that component for a lot of people, like it really, like I like science anyway. Mm-hmm. But when I started seeing some of the research behind this, it really piqued my interest in terms of, oh man, I, I needed, <laughs> I need all the scientific benefits of mm. the, that I read about. Right. Sure. Yeah. Give us, give us some of the science behind mindful meditation. I have a spreadsheet where I started keeping links to scientific articles and then it just got too cumbersome to keep it up. Um, but essentially like just to let you know, like what it helps the clinical studies have shown it helps anxiety disorders, stress, depression, suicide ideation, pain management, um, PTSD, mood and sleep disorders. Um, it helps build compassion. It helps with relationships, health and well-being. So they've, they've got all this, uh, you know, that has been displayed through these clinical studies. And the people that it helps are veterans, cancer patients, prisoners, CEOs, pregnant and postpartum women, parents, children, students of all ages. They've been able to, to practice and test, you know, with this as well. I've had many schools are including mindfulness teaching, anyone who wants to look to improve their style of life. So, so what, what it does is our amygdala, which is at the core of our brain, that's, you know, right a little bit above the brainstem. I actually have, a, I'm looking over here because I have a big poster of the brain. Um, the amygdala it plays a crucial role in our stress responses, right? If you think for all those years, we were just really about survival and how do we stay safe? Um, and it's only recently, in, in, if you think of the human timeline, that we've got relative safety. So our brains are still really like looking all the time, constantly, constantly, constantly looking for threats. And that's what the amygdala does. It's always looking for any detection of stress or a threat of any type. And it initiates our coping responses. So um, in a, and since we don't have, we're not like going around with a spear um, anymore, like looking for food behind a bush. We're not hunting like that. We don't have to worry about tribes coming after us anymore. So what it's now looking for are emotions. It reacts to emotions or perceived threats, uh, especially strong emotions like fear. And so what we found is this part of the brain is less activated following mindfulness training. Hmm. Then, right along with the amygdala is the hippocampus, which is critical to learning and memory and helps regulate the amygdala. And this part of the brain is more active uh, after mindfulness training. Then there's my beloved prefrontal cortex. Mm -hmm. Um, It's the part of the brain most associated with maturity. And it actually doesn't really develop until after a child is born, when it really starts to take off for those first six or seven years. And then there's another boost in the teen years. But uh, it regulates emotions and behaviors and making wise decisions. And this part of the brain is more activated following mindfulness training. Another part of the science of this is we have, you know, with all this activation, right, 
it creates neural pathways in our brain. And the more conditioning we have along a certain line creates stronger neural pathways. They can develop myelin sheaths. So if there's a lot of anxiety around something, um, like maybe somebody's afraid of the dark, right? And there's just, that's continually reinforced for them over and over and over. And the myelin sheath gets really strong. Even as an adult, it can be very hard to overcome that fear of the dark because we've developed such strong conditioning for that. And if we think about um, different things we've been taught in society and everything that creates all this strong conditioning, um, and then our brain releases chemicals on top of that. So we've got dopamine that rewards you. This is a lot of where addictions come in, right? Because mm-hmm. the dopamine helps us feel better and it develops that electrical circuitry that, that makes a strong neural pathway. Um, and so it releases dopamine. Uh, we have oxytocin that uh, is released in social environments. So like if you're part of a church, even if the church is not a healthy place for you, that particular church may not be a healthy place for you or a particular community. Um, we need that oxytocin, right, to make us feel better. So we often stay in unhealthy environments. Um, and there's other brain chemicals. That's, I don't know how much right. you want me to go no, into No, yeah, but, but that's like the bonding chemical. It even like, yeah. it's like sex even is activate yeah. oxytocin. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, serotonin for importance and respect, um, endorphins, it masks our pain, um, and cortisol is released when we have stress. So all this is going on and building up this neural pathways in our brain. And, uh, mindfulness helps us to start to create new wiring. Hmm. And so our, one of the things they thought, well, after you're a teenager, you really, your brain doesn't develop anymore, but now they know that's just not true. It doesn't matter what age you are. You can develop new neural pathways. So if you stop. But it's not always as easy, is it? Like in the, it's, it t- Certainly it takes work. But remember, it, even that first one was built over time, mm-hmm. right? Or through a traumatic experience. It certainly can happen then as well. Mm-hmm. And they do say that pretty much everyone has had some trauma in their life. Sure. In, in the modern world. But uh what happens with, with mindfulness is because you can create a space between that stimulus and the reaction. Um, so we can focus on an in, in experience in the moment, whether it's the feeling of the breath or the sounds in the room, and our minds are able to quiet themselves. Remember, now we can access that prefrontal cortex. Mm-hmm. Because if the amygdala is like going off, it shuts down our prefrontal cortex. So now we're in pure reactivity, we mm-hmm. have literally lost our minds mm-hmm. <laughs> how we're responding. So that pause uh, by training our minds to do that gives us that space. So now we can be present with what's happening and it's, we get cues now to stop and reflect and, and we can build those new. Yeah. Minds. That's fascinating to me. Um, what about children? Can children benefit from this? And, and in my specific things because I think a lot of people that I've talked to about like I've even done some guided meditation with groups that I've worked with and mm-hmm. m- most of us feel like we're a little bit ADD ADHD mm-hmm. if you start thinking about trying to take kids through meditation they can't sit still long enough to bend you know what 
like how to, but can it actually help kids that have these attention deficit disorders and that kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. And I am seeing this firsthand with my six-year-old grandson who he actually had his uh, electrodes put up to his brain. I'm not really sure what type of brain scan this was, but the therapist told us on a scale of one to 10, as far as high activity goes, he's a 21. So uh, that gives you a little picture of why it was so difficult for us when we first started doing school. I didn't realize what I was going to be working with. And um, he just he's just constant, constant movement. Um, he walks in a room and things fall just because he's all over the place. Right. So uh, we have taught there's little practices you can do. And of course, he's not sitting on a cushion for 20 minutes or 45 minutes. Of course not. We work with him where he's at. Um, but there's a little practice called sitting still like a frog and he likes that. And so he can sit and just be quiet for just a minute and pay attention to his breathing. Or we've got what we call spaghetti noodle where, and this is, I love this because of the embodiment of it. So he just like lies down the floor and he tenses up every muscle in his body, just like an uncooked spaghetti noodle. And he's as stiff as can be. And then he relaxes and he feels all over his body where that relaxation is. And then we have, you know, we'll do that two or three times. So we have built that into his daily routine. And we're seeing a difference. Like he even told me today he was getting upset at something. And he said, he calls me Mimsy. He says, Mimsy, and I just took a breath and I could feel it in my body and then I was okay. So like he's starting hmm. to see this and I can just imagine how much more equipped he will be when his, you know, he reaches his teens and, and forward, you know, like to have these practices that are second nature for him. But there's a lot of like, That's I don't good. know if you can see, see this up here. This is good for kids. They can like in, inhale, exhale. It's what do they call these things? Do you, do you know I forgot called? the name of them. <laughs> it's these expanding balls that you just stretch out for mm -hmm. anybody who doesn't have visual. Mm -hmm. um, there, it's a colorful ball. You can just pull on it and it right. spins in and out. There's so many, and you can put a teddy bear on his chest, and he can just breathe and watch the teddy bear go up and down. That's that's cool. So, so this is even with children, even with kids that have difficulty with attention spans yeah. they're they're finding out that this actually can help their young developing brains yes become more yeah, focused because, become more mm -hmm. more calm more aware to, to, i really think of it as like who's in the driver's seat most of us go through life in the passenger seat and our mind is doing all the driving right? And everything in our society is all about the mind, right? So it's just doing the driving. And I feel like mindfulness empowers you to actually be in the driver's seat and determine these are the thoughts that I'm going to act on. This is how I will respond to this. It just gives you that power. Is there a, I mean, I suppose that the first time somebody jumps into this, they might get some benefit out of it is there is there a sense though that you like anything you have to practice it over 
a longer stretch before you actually start receiving the full benefit? I mean, I'm just assuming that's true, but I'm curious from your perspective. They're both true. Because like, say you're in a rage, you're just really upset, or maybe you're terrified of something and you just pause, you're just a beginner and you've heard, oh, pause, just pause, <sighs> take a breath. Well, you've just allowed your prefrontal cortex now to re-engage, right? So, so that can happen for somebody that's not even meditated, right? Just that moment of mindfulness, just really being present. There's a, there's a Thich Nhat Hanh says, wash the dishes to wash the dishes. You can just wash the dishes. You don't have to sit on your cushion. Just be with what you're doing mm -hmm. and be fully there, right? But obviously, if we're talking about building neural pathways, new neural pathways, and new automatic responses, that takes practice. Mm -hmm. And so there's, there's different types of practices. There's the formal practice where we think of sitting on a cushion or a chair. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be a cushion. It could be a chair. You could lie down. There's walking meditation. There's uh, mindful eating. Yeah, there's anyway, anything you do, you can do mindfully, right? You can make a meditation practice out of it. Um, but the, the more you do that, obviously, the more disciplined your mind becomes. And that was very uh, attractive to me when I started getting into this too. I thought I want a well-disciplined mind. So I would, I, I want you to ask you to do a guided meditation for us on, on our talk here. But before we do that, I mean, that's one type of meditation within the mindfulness meditation movement is a guided meditation. Are there, are, are there names for three or four other main types of meditation within the mindfulness meditation movement, or is it just so many types that you can't name them? Yeah, I think, I think what you're just seeing is the distinction between whether you just do it yourself and you're not listening to any audio files or any person that's telling you and guiding you through it. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's the guided meditation mm -hmm. or you're just doing this on your own. So I'm, I'm not sure how to make the distinction between those two. Okay. That's like, which side of the coin do you want to use? Okay. Heads or tails. But so all types of meditation would have similar components to it. Like, uh, well, like transcendental meditation, that's all self self guided. I mean, okay. You, you have this mantra you're just repeating over and over. Right. Nobody's telling you to, you know, you're just sitting in a quiet room. So yeah, there's, there's, there's the, within the spectrum of meditations, they have different aspects. So you're, but let, let's just say you're sitting in a room by yourself and you want to, you want to practice something uh, and you don't have, you're not listening to a guided meditation. Yeah. Um, you mentioned two things that you can focus on. One, you, one is your breath. Another one, you, another one is some type of feeling or bodily you know, even I a pain, pain or a hurt or something in your body. So you start with that focus on breath or you start with that focus on a part of your body. And where do you let it take you from there if you're doing it by yourself? Thank you for asking that question. That was really a good question. I think what I would recommend when you plan to sit and do some meditation is like plan, that, you know, how long do you want to do this? Do you want to do this for five minutes? You want to do this for 20 minutes, but pick a, pick a time that's reasonable for you and then pick an intention. Why am I doing this? What do I hope to get out of this? Right? 
So you understand why you're in this space. Um, because whatever thoughts that might arise or whatever feelings might arise or distractions, it's good to be able to have that intention to come back to. So then uh, you might, you want an anchor. Um, an anchor because things will come up because you might notice it's just amazing how much like your face is going to start itching, um, you know, or, or you'll cough. Like I've been in retreats before and it's like, you don't really notice anybody coughing, but now that you're all sitting in silence, coughs are happening all over the place. Right. So it's just, uh, just noted, allowing what happens to arise and knowing that you can come back to this anchor when your thoughts get carried away. So, um, a breath is a common anchor. It's free. It's what everybody has one, right? You don't, you can go everywhere you go, but the breath doesn't work for everybody. And there can be all kinds of reasons for that. It could be, um, maybe they've got a respiratory problem. Maybe they've got some trauma around breath. Um, so you don't know. So it doesn't really matter what your anchor is. It could be a body part. Um, it could be something outside of your body, something that you're looking at in the room. Oh, when I learned Lamaze, right? You find a focal point. So that's essentially what you're doing is you're finding a focal point. You're just looking at this. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be a sound. Um, some people like meditating to just the sound of rain or a bubbling brook, okay. an audio file like that. And then when your thoughts and emotions come and go, you just, and you notice, oh, there's, uh, there's a memory. Oh, I was just remembering, remembering. Okay, then go back to the anchor, whatever that anchor is. Okay. All right. Well, that's helpful. Well, let's let's do a meditation that we're going to, an audience will maybe do about let's, around seven minutes or something like that. Um, help, help us get ready. So some of you who are listening, like when I listen to podcasts, I'm usually showering or getting ready in the morning or something like that, driving around in the car. So you might not be in the the perfect space to do a, a, a meditation, but Pam, I had asked Pam to lead us in a guided meditation for, you know, about seven minutes. So help us get into this space, Pam, and, and, uh, and take us uh, on a journey. Sure. All right. Well, um, I do recommend that you're not driving when you do a, a formal type meditation because you want to have all focus on safety there. Um, but basically, wherever you're at, uh, just find a position where your body is comfortable and yet supported. So uh, you're not so comfortable that you're going to fall right to sleep, um, but you are. Your your body is supported. Um, Jack Cornfield often says in a dignified manner. So, uh, you know, a lot of times they recommend having your back straight and that's because it opens up your chest. So you have freedom of breath. Um, but really it's just about just being comfortable. If you can plant your feet on the floor, that's great. And as you just sit there for a minute, uh, notice if there's any areas of tension, uh, that you might release. We carry a lot of tension in the back of our neck, in our jaws and around our eyes. Just see if you can relax those a little bit. If you um, you feel like any one part of your body maybe is doing more work to prop you up than another part, see if you can 
even that out. Just relaxing and melting into whatever is supporting your body. And this little practice that we're doing today is uh, an embodiment practice. Because as we've talked about, we, we often aren't used to really being with our bodies. So when you feel like you've settled in, I'm going to invite you to actually open your eyes and look around outside of the body and look around at your environment and where you're at. And maybe uh, look at colors, notice colors that are surrounding the body, noticing shapes that are surrounding the body, the, the shape of the space around your body. And try to do it without any judgment about what you're seeing, making it good or bad. Just noticing what's there. And then bring an awareness to the body itself, to the skin. How does your skin feel? Do you, do you notice a difference between the skin that's covered up with clothing and the skin that is open to the air? Do you feel a temperature difference? difference of light pressure, perhaps, from the clothing. Just feeling the, the outside of the, the body. And then when you're ready, I invite you to bring your awareness to inside of the body. What's happening in there? This maybe maybe thinking of it as being inside out. You're feeling from the inside of your body outward. Thinking of the body as awareness, as the way that you understand your experience. Just noticing what sensations are there, any areas of vibration, pulsing, achiness. Maybe you don't feel much at all, and that's okay, because we do this without judging. We're really just noticing. This is called interoceptive, when we are noticing what we can feel inside the body. Now I invite you to spend a couple of minutes moving your awareness from inside the body to outside the body and then back in again. So we're oscillating our awareness from inside to outside. It doesn't have to be equal time. It's just 
about this experience of noticing and awareness of our embodiment. How is this experience different from bringing your awareness inside the body to the awareness of outside the body? How is that experience different for you? You might be noticing a slight movement of air around you the firm pressure of the chair beneath you or your weight of the feet on the floor. You may be feeling the expansion and contraction of the belly and the chest area as you breathe in and out. Maybe feeling the breath as it sort of massages you on the inside. In this quiet embodiment, we can ask, what are you feeling right now? Can you name it? Where is it? Where does your body experience that feeling? Is it a release or an expansion? A tightening or contraction, a vibration? And if what you're experiencing is difficult, perhaps something painful, can you treat it with tenderness and allow a little more space for it? Inhale, noticing. With each inhale, just noticing what's there. With each exhale, Relaxing, melting down a little bit more. In another moment, we will transition to end this practice. So just enjoy being with the quietness, being with your own body. Feeling your seat in the chair, your feet on the floor, your arms resting or whatever supporting them. Feeling the breath move in and out. When you're ready, you can open your eyes.
How do you feel? I was, it was good. I was, so, um, haven't eaten much today. So Mm -hmm. like my stomach was kind of growling a little bit, but, um, when I was moving between focusing on the inside versus my external, um, I found myself thinking about the, the audience a little bit and what they're experiencing, mm-hmm. but in, but, uh, it's interesting that even me doing this, the, the interviewing that I'm doing, the podcast, there's been the sense that this was the right direction for me in a, in a time, you know, where I'm, it's been a challenging time for me and something that I've always experienced associated with like God's presence is where I have these uh, Mm. chills that run down the back of my neck and spine at times. It's been, it's always been for me associated with either God's presence or peace or sense of even almost a sense of security. And um, I don't know, destiny is the right word or not, but a sense of like, God's with me or what, I don't know, you know, to try to put language around that is, but that it's always brought comfort in some way or another. Um, and that happened multiple times just in this seven minutes that we were doing this. And I thought that was, I thought, Hmm, that's interesting. You know, just an awareness of that. So I felt a lot of peace. I didn't feel a lot of anxiety, which anxiety is one of my traveling partners, but, uh, yeah. yeah, so that was good. So I, I think it's beautiful that you have been able to identify, uh, a sensation in your body, uh, that you, you connect to, well, spiritual connection, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a very beautiful thing. Um, and why do you think that happened when we were doing this all practice? I, you know, my, my sense was that it was just like an assurance that I'm in the right space doing the right thing, even with my life in general, which was, mm-hmm. you know what, I wasn't, that was, that, that's what came up for me. It wasn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't that, um, and I wasn't looking for that. I certainly wasn't expecting that. So, well, I, I love the, um, the embodiment connection of that oscillation, right? Mm -hmm. Just bringing it in and out. And I, I wanted to give something for your audience and for you that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that you can always do that. Just move in and out, in and out and just feel and be, bring awareness to that experience, um, no matter where you're at. Excellent. So what are some resources for people if people have, uh, maybe they've not practiced this much or maybe they haven't experienced it. could be some people out there who are very experienced, but what are, what are some resources that you would have available yourself and maybe, uh, maybe some that you would direct people to sure. as we kind of close our time together? Well, I have some favorites, of course. Um, certainly I would recommend, uh, looking at the Midwest Alliance for Mindfulness. They are located in Leewood, Kansas, in the greater Kansas City area. Uh, But during the time of the pandemic, everything's online. Mm -hmm. 
So uh, you can take advantage of, they have a number of different classes and well-trained teachers. They do um, mindfulness-based stress reduction. They have something called ACT, which is a, as a, and I've wanted to take ACT myself, but it's done by this therapist that specializes in it um, that just helps you uh, accept and connect, acceptance and connection, connection therapy, I believe is what it is. But they have classes on that. Just they um, have a strong outreach for the LGBTQ community and people of color communities. They, we even have a teacher there that offers meditations in Spanish. And they have monthly half-day retreats that you can do online right now. So I would really recommend that. Okay. Um, north of the river, where we are, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a small group we've started called Northland Meditation Friends, where we meet every other week uh, and just spend an hour together. Uh, one of us will maybe bring a teaching or just share of our experience. And then we do some kind of a meditation practice. Uh, We kind of leave that open to whatever is arising from the community. It's very emergent. We just finished working through the book called Mindful of Race by Ruth King, which uh, was very powerful um, because most of the people in our group are white and it it helped them see uh, things again through a new lens, which uh, we felt was really timely considering the social issues that are now again resurfacing and being uh, brought to the front of our minds. Um, in the fall, I plan, or I'm sorry, in the spring, uh, March, April, and May, I'll be offering a 12-week course called Healing from Religious Wounds. And this is uh, for people who have been hurt by uh, their, uh, maybe an attachment to some doctrine, doctrinal teachings that have harmed them, people in the religious world that they felt they could trust, that have disappointed them. Um, And it's really sort of an intro to mindfulness, Mm -hmm. but it's through that lens, that experience of um, needing to heal from religious wounds. So does Mm -hmm. not, uh, we welcome anyone wherever you are in your spiritual path. This is not meant to dissuade you at all from your faith. We welcome people of faith in this group, but understanding that wounding can happen Mm -hmm. um, everywhere. Right. I would really recommend Insight Timer. There's a lot of different apps people can use. Um, I like Insight Timer because it's free, although there is a paid level um, if you want to use that. But that's my go-to app of choice. I can just set the timer. There's all kinds of ways to customize that timer to make it suit my needs. But for any length of time that you want to practice, or they have guided practices on there. I even have a couple of guided practices on there um, for... um, loving kindness meditation with your cat or loving kindness meditation with a dog because sometimes people they don't know how to they don't know how to access loving feelings but they know how to love their their dog right right? so tapping into that place of love and then expanding it out um and then um i love books right so books have been very helpful for me i wanted to recommend this book on embodiment uh called the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. Um, There's a lot of science in this book, but it's a very powerful book of helping us understand how the trauma that we've experienced in life is kept in our body, uh, how we can uh, process that Hmm. and become free um, through embodiment practices. Say that title again. The Body Keeps the Score. Oh, 
Okay. Look right here. So if anybody's visual, there's that. The body keeps the score by the Bessel Van Vander Kolk. K O L K. K O L K. Yeah. All right. Yeah. It's an excellent one. Yeah. Uh, another one along the lines of embodiment is My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Menachem. Hmm. And uh, this deals with issues of race and embodiment. Um, so that's also, it's, it's like a bestseller right now too. It's out there, but, and I, to be full disclosure, I haven't finished reading it, but I've gotten part, part of the way through. It is really powerful. Um, just on mindfulness itself, I would recommend radical compassion by Tara Brock. Um, she talks you through rain. She introduces the concept of rain, um, which is essentially, uh, an acronym for doing insight meditation to recognize allow, investigate, and nurture, uh, whatever is arising mm. for you. Um, You've studied with her, right? Yes. Yes. yes I'm in a certification program now. It will end in February and Tara Brock and Jet Cornfield are the founders of this. And so, I mean, and her books I are... did see them in, uh, when we started it, but now everything's Zoom. So. Okay. What her, say her book title again? Radical compassion. Radical compassion. She has a another one I noticed called radical acceptance. Yes, very good. Uh, yeah, they're, mm -hmm. they're all very good. Okay. Radical compassion is her newest one, and it really is focused around rain, which rain is such. It's an easy acronym, an easy way to understand how to process difficult emotions. Okay. Excellent. Well, thank you, Pam, for joining us and taking the time to um, give us some insight into this field of mindfulness meditation. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your heart for this. And I, I, I love the way you're taking this to other people as well. So what's your website real quick? Oh, PamHausner.com. Okay. P-A-M-H-A-U-S-N-E-R.com. All right. All right. <laughs> Well, thanks everybody for joining us at Spirituality Adventures, and we're glad that you tuned in today and continue to follow us and stay with us. We'll have more to come. Thank you. Thank you, Pam. God bless you. Thank you.